Hello and welcome to uh, the RevX podcast. This is the fifth episode. This episode is the first in our series uh, of job search tips and advanced skill training. We'll start basically and then we'll work more deeply after that. Uh, Samara came up with this series and recruited all of the the great uh, panelists that you'll hear on this one and other episodes. We've recorded some more for the future. This is just the first hour. Uh, Well, the first half of the first panel, which was like two and a half hours long. The second one was about the same time and had uh, a significantly different number of panelists. So this episode is the first part of the series and um, it's recorded live. So the sound's a little inconsistent. I tried to even it up a bit. But this one is interview tips um, and skills for interviewing, basically. Uh, the panelists, I'm one of the panelists, Professor Rex. Samara is the host and asks some questions. You also have some audience members who ask questions as well. Um, and they'll introduce themselves during the, the, the panel. But the panelists are myself, Professor Rex. Um, and I'm going to go with... Uh, Facebook names in case there's any, uh, just in, for, you know, safety and, you know, respect and all that stuff. So, um, Professor X, myself, was one. Tamakazi is another panelist. Uh, BJ McDuffie, she used a real name. Um, Faith Pippin, Kristen Sunshine, and Jide Benefo. Those are your panelists for this one. Um, kind of a Guest audience member is Shelly Clausen, who is going through her own job search stuff. And so she was kind of, uh, she asked a bunch of questions at our request so we could go kind of a, do a deep dive on one particular person and their particular needs. Because what one person needs in this area, other people do so do too. So um, either, I don't think she asked as many in this first segment as maybe in the second one, but you'll probably hear her pop up. Um, quite a bit throughout the this this first series of uh, panels. Um, okay, so that's the podcast that we're doing there. And again, we've started doing uh, Tuesday and Thursday every week. We're going to do a release podcast. We have several more in the bank, uh, and then we're recording more um, as we do as soon as we can and as time allows, schedules and various things like that. Um, upcoming next week, I'm not sure which two are released. We're we're trying to work on a series on toxic masculinity and the first two will include an all male panel and an all female panel. And I want to release those in the same week. So that may be pushed back a week because we've only got one of those recorded. So, but other things that we do have recordings for and that'll be upcoming um, within either next week or the, the, the week after are more of these job search panels. We also are doing a spoken word and poetry um, thing that's also recorded live at various events. And we also have we have uh, several other topics that we recorded and that we're working on. If you are interested in doing one of these podcasts, either as a guest or as a host, or you have an idea for one that you would even, even if you don't want to participate and you just want to hear one, you can let us know about ideas, messages. Um, Professor Rex on Facebook, Kenneth Quinnell, and you can find me just about anywhere. Um, you know where I'm at. Um, Samara will also, uh, our other, you know, Revex staff, Tamakazi and Layla and uh, Kay Kamal are also available to take requests and things like that. And uh, we have the free equipment. We'll bring it to you. It's portable. If you want to do a podcast, let's talk. Um, we're going to release two of these a week under the Revex banner. 
And if you do one on your own and you want to like get some additional play, let us know about it and we'll share it. Also, if you have events that you want to have promoted at the beginning in these beginning sections of these RevX podcasts, let us know and we'll announce those as well. Speaking of that, um, we have several announcements for today. Um, all RevX ones this time, but again, if you give us yours, we'll uh, include those in the in the discussion. So uh, this Sunday, October twenty second, at the Pinch, at uh, uh, we'll start around one o'clock. We are doing spooky spoken word brunch. Okay, so you have the brunch special, bottomless mimosas, and other options. And during that, we will be telling ghost stories and horror themed uh, spoken word and poetry and readings and whatever else. So if you want to perform, let us know, but also come out. This one will be one of the more fun ones. We'll record some of this stuff. Um, we've got some scary original stuff. We've got some people that are going to read some uh, stories dramatically and various things like that. So it should be a, a scary good time. We'll have the lights low, even though it'll be daytime. We'll be, we're will be we in the basement. The lights will be low. We'll have drinks. So we'll you should be a little bit scared on this one. Um, the other thing, next one is 11-5, November 5th. Also at the pinch, this time at 8 p.m. at night, we are doing Karaoke Idiot, the musical. We are uh, going to put on a low-budget production of American Idiot, the musical, using karaoke files. And we'll have costumes and props and all kinds of various fun stuff. But rather than casting one person for each character and have them do the whole show, we're sharing the songs, karaoke style, and each song will be a different performer. You might be able, you'll see some repeat performers, of course, but if you're interested in performing one or two songs from American Idiot as we put on this production, get in touch with us. That'll be performed on 11.5. We've already got five, six people signed up, but we need a few more um, to make it a little more diverse and make sure that we have a good, broad, diverse group of people having fun and performing in that one. Um, the next podcast recording slash live event for the job search series will be on November 12th. And that one will be specifically about job searching tips. So if you're out there on the market looking for something, you're going to have some expert panelists and we'll have details of those on our Facebook page of who they will be. Um, uh, but you'll have get some ter- tips from experts in various fields, you know, not just politics and stuff like that, but across various different fields, you'll have people in there giving you expert advice on how to search for jobs. Um, that'll also be released later as a podcast. But if you're there in person, you can ask direct questions about your particular job search or anything else like that. Um, and then uh, on November 26th, uh, the last spoken word brunch at the pinch we're going to move these event those events back to the nighttime schedule as a rotating thing so that'll be the last one on 11 26 um come out and perform uh we'll try to recruit it kind of a greatest hits things and have the people who performed in the past come back and do their greatest hits from that and then we'll shift it to a nighttime event and the last one to mention for tonight is the december 3rd december 3rd is the big year in blowout show uh concert and we will have um, Professor X will do a set there. Sarah Stardust is going to do a set. Um, several people will be involved in the songwriter showcase, including uh, Brittany Gates. And then we will also have the premiere of Tamikaze and I's new band, Picasso Hut. And we'll also have some other more uh, well-known and acts, uh, in fact, some of the acts from some of the people that appear on these podcasts that, that, that do around, we're working out the final details, but hopefully we'll have three or four other uh, acts on that bill, um, and that one is December 3rd, so keep that in mind. So here is the podcast. Uh, this one, again, is um, the 
job interview process tips and uh, advice on that. So thanks for listening. Okay. Hi, hello. Welcome. This is the first in the RevX job search series. This is interviews, tips, and maybe mock interviews if we want it at the end. Um, welcome. We have six panelists here today who are all very experts in their fields and can tell us more about how inter to interview, really, how they have conducted interviews themselves or been in interviews themselves or just really in situations and kind of what they do. And we'll also open the floor for questions. Um, so this is how it's going to go. Um, I will introduce our panelists. All right, so today you can go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us about a little about what you do. Um, one hugely important interview tip, and then one nightmare story, either from when you were interviewing someone or you were interviewed. So my name is Judith Banifo, and I am a personnel research psychologist with the U.S. Office of Personnel Management. Uh, before I go any further, obviously nothing I say represents the U.S. federal government in any way, but the work we do is pretty unclassified, so I feel comfortable saying where I work. It all becomes a matter of public record sooner or later. I have my background is uh, I have a Master of Science in Industrial Organizational Psychology, a BA in Psychology. I earned that Master's in 2002, and ever since I have been working in organizations, basically doing internal or external, briefly, human capital consulting. Uh, I've worked overseas and uh, also in the United States mostly, but basically developing human resources selection tools and doing workforce planning and classification work. So, sort of internal human resource consulting type. So as a result, I've been in human resource departments pretty much my entire career, uh, well, since I decided to take this career on for the past 12 odd years. Uh, my name is uh, Thomas Lamb. Uh, I'm a physical scientist at the Smithsonian uh, Museum Conservation Institute. So, uh, like GA said, the Smithsonian is also federally funded. What I say is also live uh, well, at Smithsonian, I, uh, I'm a scientist that studies uh, materials of uh, cultural value. So I uh, characterize materials. I am I'm here today to uh, help help out and hopefully um, in other events help out too. I have had a lot of experience applying uh, for jobs and looking for jobs. Uh, in that the way that the, your career goes, especially when you're in the academia of different levels, undergrad to all the way finishing the uh, doctorate, you end up going through a lot of things. You should do a lot of soul searching. So, um, uh, and I, I will continue uh, more later. So prior to this, I was a senior research specialist at the University of Missouri, and I. Uh, I uh, work at a music facility teaching people how to use electron microscopes and also um, talk and uh, uh, interact about projects of that nature, give workshops. And prior to that, I was at National Institute of Standards of Technology. That was my postdoc. So that was uh, a lot of research, a lot of different people, a lot of nanotechnology projects. My tip for interviewing is that interviewing and giving a talk is two different things. So you may be asked to give a talk at the interview, but you should not present it in the way that you would present it at a conference. You need to actually, like, um, my 
biggest flaw in interviewing was uh, trying to be too professional. If you try to be too professional, you end up coming, I feel like I come across as too held back, as too conservative, uh, and not really wanting a job. So you have to like gauge yourself and figure out what, what, um, what it is that you need to do to be more expressive. And uh, for me, I found that that really helped me. So this is Jude. Um, sorry about that. I decided to make some kind of weird executive decision that Tom decided to rightly undo and not actually give an interview tip and um, a story. Um, but the tip that I thought about giving, and I, I know this is cliche, but um, always make sure you're doing a thorough investigation of the interview of the place you're interviewing because you're they're auditioning for you as well as you're auditioning for them. And I'll go further and say ways to do that, which is research them on Glassdoor, reach out on LinkedIn, send out a mass email and ask your professional contacts if they know anyone who works in that organization and then have a conversation with that person about what the organization is like before you get there. And if you feel uncomfortable, after you're done, because I've done that before and that's my story. And I can get into that a bit later, but I interviewed with a large insurance company and, uh, and it uses uh, you know, that uses, a, that uses, we'll just say they use a lizard as their mascot. And um, I was really glad that I found someone in my network and talked to them about what it was like to work there. So I didn't take the job. Hi, my name is Kristen Milstead. And I have a PhD in sociology, and I currently work at the Department of Labor, where I analyze data about grant programs. Um, those grants are given to community colleges to help them train individuals who are out of work in high industry, uh, well, high industries, sorry, high growth industries. I've actually had three careers before this one that are all completely different from each other. I've been a high school teacher, I've been a legal and debt analyst for the oil and gas industry, and I've been a college professor. I've actually done interviews over a wide variety of different industries, and you know, while I was in college, I did job interviews, you know, minimum wage jobs, and, and um, this is you know, not anything for me, and so I'm excited to be here today to try to talk about my experiences. I'd like to say today about what I said about um, the big tip, uh, talking about the big But I'd like to actually start out talking about a meme that I, that I read, or that, that I saw. It was actually about a job interview, a man at a job interview. So he's on one side of the table, and the job interviewer's on the other side of the table. And the job interviewer says, so why do you want this job? And the man says, well, so I, so I can pay my bills and pop bottles and then again, why do you think I want the job? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the point is, we all want a job because we have bills to pay. And hopefully, you know, we get a job that allows us to do something satisfying and meaningful with our lives, too. But you know, the reality is that, especially that day when we go to the interview, the job interviewer in the company you know, at large, or you know, the entity, wherever it is that we're applying, they don't really, they don't really care you know, that we have bills to pay you know, that we're personally satisfied. This may be our dream job, and we look at it and say, oh my god, this is our skills, you know, I gotta have this job, or, or it may just be, you know, we gotta get this job to pay our bills, and whichever it is. Our job that day when we go to the job interviews, we have to, we have to tell them what can we do for them? So every single question that they ask, we have to reframe it, what can, what can I do for them? So if they ask us, tell me about yourself, reframe it, what can I do for you? 
they ask, what qualities can I bring, what, what qualities do you bring to the job? Reframe as, what can I do for you? My tip would be, it's really it's two parts, you know, it's the show don't tell. The first part is to be very specific, what have you done? So if they ask you, what qualities are you going to bring to the job? So don't just say, I'm a problem solver and I'm very detail-oriented. You would want to say, I'm a problem solver and I'm very detail-oriented. For example, um, my first three months of my current job, I looked over all the data that uh, they had collected at the specific grant program, and I found that grantees were not reporting very accurately on the specific indicator. So I rewrote some instructions, and I went back to uh, we went back to the grantees and got them to report it. And so then when I analyzed it, I found that more individuals were actually completing the program than we thought. So then we could re-report that data to Congress. And then the second part of that show don't tell is again to uh, to kind of back uh, piggyback on what today said to research the company and then say to them, and I can do the same thing for you because what did you do? You research the company and you know a little bit about what they're doing. And you don't have to go into a lot of detail. They know you don't know every single nuance, but you know a little bit about what they're doing because you know what they've been working on, you know what they're currently working on, and you can say, and I can do the same thing for you because X, Y, Z. And so um, another thing I do is I bring in hard copies of what I've been working on. What, 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 do, you, what do you do? Do you write articles? Do you write white papers? Do you write code? You know, what, what are things that you do? Do you lesson plans? Do people tell you bring resumes with you when you go to job interviews? Bring copies of resumes? Bring copies of that sort of stuff there too. So I'm across the table and you're talking and leave it with them. Try to make sure your name's on it. Um, something tangible people like to look at. Um, I, th I think that your goal while you're there is to make sure that they have no choice but to see you as the one that they need to hire. My, my thinking at a job interview is that once you make it to that stage, it's, it's really your job to lose at that point. So my big tip is every single thing that they ask you, just reframe it so that you are constantly telling them what you have done and what you can do for them. Uh, hi, I'm Faith Pippin. I, like Kristen, I'm a professional nomad. Um, I have some connective threads in a lot of my jobs, but sometimes my career path hasn't probably been as, as straight a trajectory as other people. Um, I am a Spanish professor. I have a master's in Spanish language and translation um, that I did with NYU but in Spain. So I've spent over eight years of my life living and working either in Europe or Latin America and the Caribbean. Um, I have a background also in program management. I've worked for the Department of Defense. Um, I've been a high school teacher. I've been an elementary school teacher. I um, do bilingual immersion schools. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of done a lot of things. So um, in my experience um, as, a, as a professional, um, I've also volunteered. At, I volunteer currently at a women and children's shelter monthly and we do a lot of workshops on um, to make like re-entry back into the workforce or getting people in a better job situation that is going to provide for them better long term. So we do a lot of things like this, which I think these sessions and workshops are great. Um, I think that I want to, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I really just want to piggyback on what has been said already, which I do think it's 
fundamentally important to do research on where you're applying because otherwise these people are just thinking you're looking for this for a job and you're not really looking at this as a way to contribute or a career. And I think there is a difference between a job and a career and there's nothing wrong with choosing a job over a career at some point, but if you're wanting to have a job, you know, a career with this company, you need to be able to, like Kristen said, to sort of sell yourself. And I think that you need to be able to give us any specific details about how your qualifications will improve their their environment, their you know, their scope, whatever it is that they're doing. You need to be able to provide concrete examples, like Kristen was saying, of how um, if you know, for example, when I worked in the Department of Defense, I was working in Latin America doing uh, institutional relations, government liaison work, um, being able to get out and, and uh, connect with leaders in the private sector and the government sector. And so I need to be able to show that, number one, I can execute, you know, long-range events and I can execute events that have three to 500 people attending them. I need to be able to prove that I'm completely bilingual in the language. I need to be able to prove that I have no problem, you know, presenting in front of a crowd. I have to be able to, you know, give finite examples. And one of the things that is so great is, this is really your chance to go through your resume. So don't just read back your resume. Give them examples that maybe even aren't from your resume. Be able to be, a person. I think one of the things that, one of the reasons that I love teaching is because I get to engage with people. And I think that that is a skill. And I think this is your chance to engage with them. And this is a chance to say, you know, I'm not just, I'm not just facts on a piece of paper. So also be able to leave them nuggets that they may be able to remember you with. So I've, I've done things like, I've, if any of you are familiar with the Camino de Santiago, which is um, a pilgrimage across Spain. So I've done that, I've completed it, and so if there's a chance where I can throw something like that in there to show, you know, I'm not just a robotic, um, you know, employee, these are the other things that I'm interested in. If I can throw out, you know, the volunteer work that I do to show that these are some of my other um, activities that I'm involved in, to show them how not only well-rounded you are, but how you can transfer these skills not only from the workplace, but you can use them in other environments and to show that, you know, these are skills that you have that you are an expert at that you can translate them into any other situation. So I think that it's important to to be confident but to be genuine because there's nothing worse than I feel like if you're in an interview and someone comes off as, as maybe arrogant, I think that you want to be able to support what you're, you know, why you're an excellent uh, contender for this job, but to be genuine and to show that you're not only going to be able to improve their workflow, but you're going to improve their office environment because they want to be able to see that you're going to mesh well with the other people around you. And so that leads me to one of my one of my don'ts if you're in an interview. I've had um, and my husband and I, who, my husband who's uh, who's a hiring manager um, who works for the government, he had told me one of his worst interview interviews that he ever conducted was. The, the, the gentleman they were interviewing actually got really belligerent because they wanted more details. Oh, well, tell me more about this. Oh, why didn't you do it like this? Why didn't you do it like this? And they are not, they're not calling into question why you did it this way or why you didn't. They want you to be able to explain why you did it because they want to hear your thought process. They want to hear how you interact and engage with other people. And that guy got so mad, he felt like he was being personally attacked. And so he got really belligerent. And you can imagine that he didn't get the job. 
And so I think that that's one of the things to keep in mind too is when you're in this interview, you know, that yeah, this is your, yes, you're up for this job, but you also need to be able to show them that you're not just presenting your, 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 your hard skills, you're also presenting your soft skills, which are how do you get along in a work environment? And how are you gonna to contribute to this office environment? So, so that's one of the things. And, and again, when it comes to being prepared, be prepared about yourself too. I know that you know what you've done, but go over it in your head. Don't be afraid to, to really talk up some of the things that you might be most proud of. You know, I, I'm proud of the fact that I've donated over a thousand hours of different uh, local community organizations to help kids learn English. Like, I'm proud of that. That may not necessarily have anything to do with, you know, my particular career path, but that's something that I'm proud of. And being able to throw those examples out, like Kristen was saying, like, no, no, not like, don't be able to just talk about what you can do for that company, but be prepared to talk about specifics because that is really huge. If, if they ask you, oh, you worked on this project and you're not ready for them to ask you that, then you either sound like you didn't actually do that or you maybe have the memory of a nap. And so this may not be a good skill to have. So I think that's one of the things that I always find crucial is be prepared about the organization, but be prepared, be prepared about yourself because you are trying to sell yourself and your experience and you have to be able to reach back and bring up all of these points, you know, oh, 10 years ago I did this job, but it's still relevant to the skills that I have. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Pooja Nappi. Uh, I have lived in the D.C. area for a little over seven years now, um, but started my career uh, years ago in New York. Uh, I was going to go to book publishing, so I got really into marketing publicity and interned at a big publishing house, um, and then went and taught English in France for a year, decided to stay for grad school, did global communications and civil society work, and got really into that. Um, Carly then into an internship at UNESCO, a consultancy there, um, then decided to move to OC, and have, been, have worked in the nonprofit sector here for a large um, international nonprofit, um, and then have been a contractor at the State Department uh, for the past uh, five plus years. Um, so of course, my opinions here represent only myself. <laughs> but within while I've been at the State Department, I uh, worked as a recruiter um, of public affairs for uh, a couple of their prestigious uh, fellowships at the Fulbright program. Uh, so I can talk a lot uh, about that and answer questions about how to prepare yourself for that. I can also talk to folks about my personal experience applying for the Foreign Service uh, for USA and the State Department Foreign uh, you know, Service uh, process. Um, and um, I've done a lot of volunteering with local nonprofits here to see for um, job skills. We've done um, you know, mock interviews, we've done resume building, and I'm really passionate about that. I've helped at least seven of my friends directly get hired at the State Department as a contractor, or some of them have actually transitioned to full-time hires there. Um, so I'm pretty uh, involved in that process and can give lots of good tips, um, starting with um, but today, and faith that Kristen and Tom Verde could uh, mention, do your research, uh, find as much as you can. Um, Glassdoor is a really great resource, um, so is LinkedIn, um, but so are your friends. Figure out if there are any tips and tricks that come up. Like Glassdoor, I remember there's one nonprofit or for-profit um, organization in DC that's a development company, and they have a standard process where you always do a phone interview, then if you get past the phone interview, then you have like a line interview, and then the third process would be of the third round 
could be an interview with the VP, and then they offer you a job if you, if you make it past those three rounds. So if you know that that's the process, when you're in the phone interview, you have to know that there are specific questions that they're probably going to answer every single person, or ask every single person that you have to be prepared for. And one of them was like, what is, this is the mission of the company, how do these goals, or how do these um, character traits, um, you know, how do you use these specific character traits in your life and work? And so if you know that, then you're prepared for that, that question, and you can answer it really thoughtfully and tie it back to your work directly into the potential job. If you didn't do that research and you get that question, then it might throw you off a little bit. And so it's those kinds of things that um, are good to have in your pocket. And you can still throw it off and you're like, oh, wow, that's a, a really great question. How would I use that? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> kind of go through and just it off. To keep it conversational, don't sound like a robot. I think it's come up a few times. Because um, it's hard. If you prepare and you are really well prepared, it's, it's, it's hard not to want to go revert back to exactly those bullet points that you have worked out. Um, you've got to create a, a nice conversational flow. Um, to that end, with behavioral interviews, um, and also with the, the federal job, system, job process, you have a lot of uh, different places to write different answers. Um, so you have a cover letter that you can add if you want to, and the other additional information slots um, in the uh, federal jobs uh, application. Um, but within that, you can also add things like star statements. So stars are situation, task, action, result. So that is something that you can practice orally. Um, for if someone says, hey, tell me about a time in your career when you've had to you know, work with a team to get over, uh, you know, to achieve something under a, a, a heavy deadline. How did, you, how did you accomplish that task? Um, so if you know that those kinds of questions are common, um, you know, tell me a time, tell me what your most, um, your proudest accomplishment is, or tell me what the biggest challenge you've ever faced is. If you know those questions will probably come up, have a few star statements kind of filed away for how you would answer those questions. Um, and then when you know that an interview is coming up, think about the, the job that you're interviewing for uh, would, would be, what skills might be necessary to be successful in that interview or that job, um, and tailor your star statement responses to those questions. And then you can also write them out in something like a USA Jobs um, uh, application where you can put that star statement there and say, this is, my, this is the background of what I was working through, this is the challenge, these are the, the steps I had to take to be successful, um, this is how we did it, and then the result was, you know, we were able to accomplish this task um, together, still remain a strong team unit, um, and raise our efficiency by 2%. You know, so you can kind of do those things, and it's, once you start, once you get the model, you can start wrapping that up into, um, to anything, you can just, conversations uh, with people or if you're doing an elevator pitch with someone, you can create your, your pitch into that kind of format and it's really helpful. Um, <laughs> so as far as, um, I guess, interview tips, um, star statements, do research. Um, don't be afraid if you think you're bombing to kind of like make, put that out there, maybe there's a reason why. I got a job at the State Department actually and I remember going through and I was kind of, it was a little manic, I was like kind of, I was really tired and I was just talking too fast, I was really excited and I was exhausted and I kind of pulled out because I was talking about public affairs and representing the government as like my job and giving speeches and, you know, being on time or whatever. And I was, I kind of made a joke saying like, so you know how I mentioned that I do, you know, Red Cross volunteering and they're like, yeah, I'm like, I actually haven't slept tonight because I had three calls last night where I was out in the field um, providing assistance for fire victims and the last one 
I dropped the car off at 7 a.m. and basically went straight to the office, took a nap, went, started work, and now it's 11.30. And they were like, oh wow. And I'm like, so I'm, I'm literally running on fumes, but I'm here and I'm performing, so don't count that against me. And they were like, oh, that's really impressive, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think if I, if I hadn't told them that story, I think they would have been like, you know, that might have been a negative that called them like, why is this person like, just really like out there? Like, yes, I, am, I have a lot of energy. I get excited and enthusiastic and topically, you know, knows, <laughs> um, in general. But in that context, it was a background reason and it was a positive. Um, and it was something that um, I think worked in my favor. Um, same thing with, I, I got my first interview for a job at DC because they wanted to know more about my time in France. She was like, oh, I just want to know about Paris. This is a job for a project in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Nothing to do with Paris, but she was just like, ah, oh, tell me about France. You lived there for a few years. How was grad school? And I was like, let me tell you. So those kinds of things, you can always, you know, feel the room, make eye contact. Don't panic and shut down and say, they're not gonna like me. Because I've done that in a panel interview where I got back from, um, uh, took a break, this was like one of those all day things and I had four hours between where um, it was my time to have the, the panel talk. So I'm like, well, let me just go clear my mind go walk around the, the National Mall and take pictures before I look here, you know, just be a tourist sitting on it, clear my mind, went back, realized everyone was speaking English here. I was still living in France, and I, I just had just like teleported into DC. I got picked up with like a black SUV, transported into like this like random subdivision, given a key card, and said we pick you up in the morning and take you to the, the interview spot. So I had no, like hadn't talked to anyone, was kind of like up to my own business, got picked up, that dropped in this interview situation, took time off and was just completely bombarded by this, by sensory whatever, get to the panel and was kind of just shell-shocked. I was like, Robert asked me questions, I understand everything, I don't translate it into English. <laughs> like, things that I've never, like, totally just thrown off. And at that point, it was kind of like, you know, sometimes you just have to catch yourself if, you're, if you know you're bombing, own it. Sometimes you're gonna win, sometimes you're gonna lose. Obviously, that one didn't work out, but the next one did, and it's just a process. Now I know. Like, and you were better prepared. I think that is a great thing. Is I have, I have, my, I just write a book about like bombing. I mean, I just my whole life is just one big bomb going off, and so I feel like that it really is one of the worst. You actually get to the worst. All right, let's move on to the next one. I know because you really you do need to take away from it some learning experience of. I'm like you, when I get really, I'm a tech happy, and so I could just, I could just stay in there all day and hang out with these people. And, and you know, I had interviews that literally devolved into us going to the bar because we just got along so well that we were like, oh yeah, you're fine, let's go get a drink. And you know, so it's very easy. And so sometimes if you're an empath or if you're a very perceptive person, that's another thing. That is a skill that you can bring to a job. But that is also something that can that can work against you sometimes because you're thinking, oh my God, they're not liking me, they're not going up to me, I'm not as funny as my mom told me I was, and so you're thinking, and it could be because they've already seen ten people today, they're tired, they've got tight deadlines, you don't really know what's going on, and so if you vomit, you vomit. It's not the end of the world because that organization may remember you, you may not be a good fit for that job. I remember when I got my job at Department of Defense, I'd actually applied. For that job, and then while you know, I hadn't heard back from them, um, off, you know, from the USA Jobs website, and so I applied for another job, actually in the same office, and interviewed for that. I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't get it. 
because it would have been, it just would not have been a good fit. And then I did get the job that I wanted, that I, you know, that I had my sights on. And so it's not necessarily um, a representation of you. There's a lot of factors involved, and you know, just use it as a learning experience because, like you said, you know, sometimes you just need to reset yourself. And so many of us in DC, I think, you know, we have like these great educational backgrounds. You have all of these goals. You know, I was going to be very type A, and so we're used to just like checking things off the list. Okay, now I want to do this, and now I want. And so sometimes, you know, if things get thrown in our way, and you have to just be able to say, that's not reflective of me. It's just maybe it just wasn't the right fit, and bounce back from that. I think that's a great, that's a great tip. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree that. Um, um, uh, it's important to be adaptable in a um, they get don't get too um, to uh, you have to be able to go with flow. Because um, in the workplace you're gonna have to be able to go with flow no matter what. And uh, one of the things that um, you have to be pretty much prepared for anything. So uh, like uh, I still think it's quite strange when I look back at it. Interviewed for a job in a in semiconductor industry, and they flew me out to San Jose. And uh, it was a three and a half day interview. I kid you not. Oh and I worked from like I'd be at work at eight thirty, literally working on like the microscope, like making, doing what I would probably do if I was actually employed at the job for till eight or nine o'clock at night. <laughs> so, so you should be prepared for some level of, oh, okay, this is going to be what it is. And kind of, you have to be dynamic in that, you know, and you have to, when you're interviewing, you and even before you interview, you should always picture yourself in the job and what you think the job is. And um, can you, can you, um, uh, can you succeed in this environment? Do you, is this something for you? That's always a good thing. And, you wouldn't refuse an interview either because you have to soul search. Um, as in, uh, when you, if you've gone through all this education and uh, investment in your career, you, you you owe it to yourself to find out what you can, how, what makes you happy, where you can succeed, what are your strengths. Uh, so two two to piggyback on there. One is, in my experience, many of the people conducting those interviews also hate the process. They don't want to be there either. <laughs> It's a thing they have to do, and they're not any happier or excited to be there. So if you can find a way, and this is jumping ahead to the tip at the end, but the, the, the tip is you gotta, I think what's really worked well for me is with, if I lose that interview, uh, I'm, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, yeah, this is pretty good. Uh, get into that, um, you get into this zone where you have to make them believe that you want to be there in that job. And if you can get that interview committee to believe that you want to work with them for that thing, you just shot yourself a much higher up that ladder. Um, I'm Kenny Cornell, Professor X. Um, my, the other one I want to tip on before we get into like the background of that stuff was, when you talk about doing your research, this is super, super important, and y'all touched on a couple things. I would also say you should absolutely thoroughly scour their website as social media, because this is how they publicly present themselves. This is part of what you'd be doing or supporting the people who do. So understanding their fold and what they, what's important to them enough to put out there, that's a key part. But a more subtle one that a lot of people don't know about is that the job description that gets published or gets put in the paper or online and stuff is not the be all end all of that job. 
most places actually have a war thorough, legally bound document that goes step by step to all the things that this job can do. You should always get that if it's available and you can legally get it. Now, some organizations, corporations won't release that stuff, but government agencies, as long as there's not a security clearance and academic institutions, other things like that, they all have these longer, more thorough, legal, and negotiated with the union and negotiated with state everything's that tells you more and more about what that job is going to do. And getting that document in advance puts you so far ahead of anyone else in that interview that didn't do that. Because literally, the people asking me the questions, they know that stuff, and no one else interviewing does. And so they only know what's in the job, the, the ad. So that's um, a key thing. So, and I found out about that process when I was in student government. As a student, I volunteered very frequently. There was always a student representative on hiring committees. And so that was part of the college's rules. And so I always, since no one else wanted to do it, I always volunteered to be in those committees and learn all of that stuff. And it really helped me get a job later on because I knew exactly what the process was like, how long. It also helped a lot in that not worrying about if this big organization takes three years to get back to you, or three years, but three months, four months, they're just that bureaucratically slow often. And I've got the job that I applied for six months before I got it, I interviewed four months before I got it, and I knew that I got it during the interview. It's a job I have now, so the story turns out correct, but but I didn't, it took literally all that time, and part of it was, it was an election year, it's a political organization, everybody's working their asses off trying to get Obama elected, and so they didn't have as much time to do HR stuff, and so um, from that point on I went on, I uh, got a master, a bachelor's, master's in political science, um, and taught college classes for 11 years throughout different parts of Florida, but at the same time helped start uh, a highly successful state blogging organization on the side, which then led me to getting actual campaign jobs. I worked up and was new media director for uh, Kendrick Meade Senate campaign in 2010, and then 2012 was the communications director for Darcy Burner for Congress out in Seattle. Then after those, moved to DC to be a writer for uh, AFL-CIO, but not everybody knows the name that you should because it's the hardest working organization fighting for your rights as a worker. That's literally the job every day is to make sure that you have your rights as a worker. So that's why right now I'm a blogger and writer, sometimes writing emails and stuff like that, but um, so that's that. And again, the tip was make them feel that you want to work there and that, because they work there, they want to work there, that's why they're in this room. And so if you, they feel like you're an addition to that, a part of that, then that's they're more likely to want to work with you. Uh, I'm Shelley Galvan. Um, have any of you ever worked with a job where you've interviewed with a client client rather than a company or an organization? And if so, how does that work? I think this may qualify. So um, as an interpreter, I've been hired by companies that then put me out with different organizations and businesses. Is that kind of what you're? Uh, I'm a professional nanny. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, so we're talking about going, so you're like going to a house or a park or a cafe and trying to have an interview on the spot. Ah, yeah, I've, I've, had a, I've had an interview actually at, at cafes and, and parks as well. Um, So I'm walking in blind. So I think that then, and 
you, I'll pass the mic too, but I think maybe some of the things that you may want to have in the back of your mind are what are some sort of, um, not creepy, but or how can you, how can you approach <laughs> these questions so, um, so that you can get the most information without seeming like you're digging for dirt? Is that kind of what you're trying So maybe, so you're maybe thinking like, um, you know, what are your jobs? How old are the kids? What are, are those are the sorts of things you're wanting to know? Or yeah, but even more specifically, like their discipline style. Those are things that I need to know so that I can mirror and cater to. And as a nanny, it's my job to mirror and cater to every type sure. of family. I think a lot of times you can get around those or to that by saying, "Tell me a little bit about your parenting style. Tell me a little bit about your child." You know, what are some things you think I should know? Because then, rather than just saying, you know, you know, whatever model it is that you follow, yes, let them walk you through it. Let them tell you. So that then you can say, oh, well, that's great. When I was a nanny for such and such, I did something very similar. Or, oh, in my academic studies, you know, that's one of the things that I've researched or I've read or things like that. So I think that's a really good way. And I think this works great in deep when, you know, if you're networking, this, this principle works anytime. Let them talk. Don't necessarily assume that you have to take a proactive role to be proactive, to be engaged, because you're listening. And and sometimes I think that one of the best ways to 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 get to the information that you want is rather than just saying, okay, a you know, A B C D E, just let them talk and say, tell me more about that. So I don't know, maybe you would agree. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And I've definitely when I was practicing this teaching. I, I've made for a few families and went on a few different interviews with folks, you know, like finding one Craigslist or, you know, this is probably, I guess, back when that was still like a safe thing to do. Um, and it, it's been, and it goes back to the stars tickets again, too. So they'll ask you things and you, you might not know exactly what they want yet, but you can know what you have to bring to the table. So you can give an example of like dealing with, you know, multiple kids or different age groups or someone who, you know, a kid who was really difficult or a kid who was really homesick or missed their parents. Uh, I did a few uh, where we did kind of like a trial where I knew the mom and she's like, all right, or, or the parent, um, and they were maybe working from home. Uh, and so I've, I've done that and seen the dynamic. And there's definitely this one family where uh, it just didn't work out. It wasn't a good fit, especially since the, the parent would be working from home all the time. And we had a very spirited toddler with an older child who was uh, kind of like Mr. Mom and they would just they would just keep escaping and trying to like interrupt the parents and because their discipline styles we found was pretty hands off, it was nearly impossible to to have any sort of authority or even not authority, you know, to kind of have any sort any sort of discipline on your end. And you just sometimes that's one way to do it. So I've you know, gotten to know I enjoy meeting you. Um, would you be interested in doing like a supervised Visit or you know, thing, and that's one way to do it. But is it okay for me to suggest that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, just so you're like, I'd love to meet the kids. It would be nice to see to watch you. I feel like that's me hiring business. Yeah, but that's that's you being assertive. So interest. Yeah. So I mean, it's just that's the kind of thing that you would do. Um, but it is especially with the the childcare or home health aid. Those are very those are very personal job choices, and so it goes a little deeper than just someone finding a fit for a company. It's a fit for their family and their lifestyle. So the best thing for me was really to kind of come prepared in a way that you can talk about yourself, and then to go into what they can say about getting, finding all the cues that you can about from them about who they are, <laughs> like because that's that's going to make or break me too. Exactly. I mean, usually 
you want to know that too, because I've worked, I've worked in um, educational environments where um, they had a very set um, methodology, like you know, methodology that they were using, and um, without really going into it, you know, I just realized this was not a good fit for me. So after teaching there, you know, for six or seven months, I already realized, you know, this is just because you know it did tend to be tend to be very hands off, and and there wasn't as much engaging with the children, and so you know I realized it, you know it, you weren't even you all, everything had to be um, phrased in a positive manner. So nothing every night was like you know please even if you said please don't do that, please don't throw that don't. ball. <laughs> you can't say don't. You can't say don't. And so I mean I I throw this out. I am a do not do that. You know. And so even if you were trying to you know even if you were I felt like I was being positive when I was saying it. I you know I just realized. This is, you know, this environment is, it, it's not a great fit for me because I'm not bringing my best to the table either. And so I think those are the sorts of things that, you know, you need to know that too, because especially if you're dealing with a nanny situation, because I've been a private tutor while I've lived in Spain, um, you need to know that you're going to mesh well with your families because you're going to you're gonna get to know those kids and they're going to feel like your kids and you're going to feel like those families are your families. And, you know, um, you need to know that that is a situation that you want to be in every day. And so there's nothing wrong with, you know, preemptively saying, let's schedule like a supervised play date. Let's do this because you want them to feel comfortable with you. And maybe even something that they had, that they had imagined or envisioned, maybe by the time they see how you engage with their kid, maybe they realize, oh, you know, maybe I don't really care that everything is so structured. You know, she looks like she has so much fun, you know, doing this. So, I mean, just being able to, to scope out what it is that they're looking for and knowing that you know either you can mold to that or mesh well with that or maybe you won't and so you move on. I'd like to add in something here. Um, I am, as you know, Shelly, I'm not a nanny and I don't have children. And, but, I am, but I did say that now. I actually, but I have worked in HR for a long time and there are certain principles that go beyond any setting. Um, one thing that I'm sure you run into is that you're, since you're dealing with parents, you're dealing with people who aren't necessarily accustomed to giving interviews, unless they happen to be in a career that warrants them giving interviews. Yeah, and that's a really inappropriate question. Sure, and so make, I'm assuming that you'd also run into illegal questions more often, yes. um, because there are illegal questions that should never be asked, and if you get asked them in an interview, that should be a gigantic red flag and you have every right not to answer it, and you probably shouldn't work there, honestly. Um, there are certain questions, if, like certain demographics questions. Are you single? Are you married? Do you have children? Are you pregnant? Like, you should never be asked those questions. And if you are... Yeah, that's also, yeah, any medical information is strictly... Yeah, any, any medical questions are strictly prohibited, and you should definitely feel free not to answer them, and feel free to cross them off your list of places to work, because that is really, really, that is literally against the law. So, but I can imagine that with parents, you're dealing, not only are you dealing with people who are accustomed to doing interviews, you might get some terrible interview questions. You're going to have to do more to answer the questions that you know they should be asking while they're asking you their nonsense questions. <laughs> so, you know. No, you just, you, you have to figure out a way to offer that information in the context of the questions that they are asking. So you're just offering additional information and fleshing out your response more than even the question warranted, just to provide information. 
that you know they should want to know and you know should make decent parents comfortable. Sometimes you have to do that in an interview, whether it's a nanny or anything else. Sometimes the questions just aren't very good and you have to yeah. sort of offer more information than they ask for in order to leave them feeling like, wow, that person was way better than I anticipated. That person's shown. Because the other people who they interviewed with may not have gone to the extent of realizing what information they really should be valuing and offering it to them in advance. So I just wanted to put that out there. And I want to just add to with the with, with finding fit, if there's a way to kind of put in to say the question about their last nanny, or if this is your first, would you be the first nanny that the family's had? I'm generally the first. Yeah. Newborns yeah. oh. is awesome. So make sure, if, um, because you can say that I've uh, I've been the first nanny for a number of families, blah, 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 you know, that's how you can phrase that. If it's for older people, or maybe they've gone through a couple, you can say, you know, can you tell me why, you know, you know is this, if I'm not your first nanny, you know, why did your, what was the, you can get to the, like, find out why they left. You know, was it, they moved, was it not a good fit, or, you know, you can kind of, depending on how they answer that question, then you can say, well, I'm so much better than this, because it's XYZ. Um, but it's, it's a good thing to know, if they've been to three nannies and their kid is two months old, then maybe it's not the family for you. Yeah. Um, so. I think, sorry, I just wanted to say, Jay, that was amazing. I loved everything you said because I, you know, I have a almost two and a half year old and it, you know, I've, I've held a number of jobs. I've been interviewed by a number of people. I would not necessarily know the sorts of interview questions to ask someone and they probably can feel just as awkward and uncomfortable. And it can be because, you know, a lot of them, Number one, they're not really, they may not have a job where they've ever had to interview someone. Number two, you're interviewing someone to take care of, your, you know, this thing that you grew. And <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's like me, you know, you know, I know that me personally having a toddler, I wouldn't necessarily know the question, and especially because if I wanted to say, so how do you deal with meltdowns, you know, because then I don't want to do like, like exactly. Well, and I think sometimes, you know, yeah, just you can either start in one place and kind of gauge it. You even ask, does that answer your question? Do you know, would you like some more examples? Or, you know, tell me, or, you know, do you want to, or, you know, just try to see if you can get more information from them. Because, again, I, you know, they're not necessarily coming from an HR perspective. And so, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with you saying, you know, um, I'm just not comfortable answering that question. You don't necessarily have to peace out right then. But just say, I'm not comfortable answering that question. You know, don't throw tonic in their face. But, you know, just, um, you know, it, you get a sense of, you know, are, are, is this new for them? If you're dealing with a lot of newborns, and especially yeah, these people are probably, number one, they're probably cracked out because they haven't slept. I mean, my kid's two and a half. I think I started sleeping last month. So they may not have really slept. They're probably, they're awkward because they don't really know what to do. And so you can just as much guide, like, you know, like Janine was saying, take those, take your examples that you have in your mind that you want, and then just see if you can't start working them towards, well, you know, those those sorts of answers that you can give. Generally, generally speaking, I would say that for any interview situation, whether it's parents or otherwise, if there's something you really need to know from them, don't be afraid to ask and ask directly. And if you think it's a, it might be a sensitive question, don't be afraid to explain why exactly you're asking that question. I'm 
So I'm 40 now, and this, that's another question they should never ask you, is how old you are. But, um, but uh, I, you know, I... Well, I mean, obviously, minimum age requirements are in every job description. But then you get into the, you know, the uh, you get into the age discrimination act and stuff like that. You're not allowed to discriminate against people due to being too old. Of course, like you can't say, oh, you're you're 32, and we have a cut now. <laughs> so, um, and they have a cut off of 31. I can't do that. So, um, but what I'm getting at is, I as I've gotten older, so when I was like younger and starting out my career, I was very timid about asking direct questions. Even if I knew an employer had a reputation, even if I looked them up and found some stuff that I had questions about, even if I got a weird vibe from being in their office or their house in your case. And if I, but as, I, as time went on, I had more experience and I worked in different places and I got older and you just stopped caring as much and lose some of those inhibitions to get older. I just stopped caring about like being afraid to ask those questions. And I just say things like, I'd just sit in the room and I'd be like, well, I've heard that this place is kind of a, a meat grinder. That's the reputation that is out there about you. I have read this from multiple sources. I wanted to ask you, like a more concrete example is, I was interviewing with an external consulting firm last summer and I had heard that there had been a lot of turnover as they had been bought and integrated into a larger firm. So I asked directly at the end, so I know you've been purchased by X, um, how was the transition in terms of how did your consultants respond to that change? Did you think it went smoothly? Did you, was there, because from my understanding is that they're having talked to other people who worked there at that time, it was a difficult transition. What do you, what, how, how do you feel about where the company stands today? And honestly, I think at the end of the day, people respect you more for asking those direct questions as long as you're not a jerk about it. And I wasn't a jerk about it, and they just gave me a, a response, and I, and I really appreciated their response. And I didn't think it was strange. I think that they were sort of like, wow, he's asking like a direct question that like where he's clearly like done his homework and been like, okay, this is this is something he really wants to know. You can say it's something you really value in an organization. So that that's my issue. I have a question for the panel um, that sort of piggybacks off of this. So you, Shelly and the audience had a question about you know working with families, but I have a question: Have any of you guys worked with you know a, like a founder of a company? Because I know that's somewhat similar to where I've worked um, with nonprofits where it started by one person and it's expanded, but the you know the founder or the CEO is still very much involved and it's still very much their baby. Uh, so have any of you worked in like a, a company like that or an organization like that? Because uh, that is when the, the interview process comes to you, it's a little I think you probably still have to deal with those personalities. Well. That's a great question. I have not personally. Next time I'll hand it to you and see if you could save me a trip down. There. I have, but I don't think my um, it doesn't actually fit because um, when you're one of the first employees, yeah, it's a very different. Like um, uh, you still communicate with them, and it was a yeah, it was a First like internship, and like, uh, like uh, they were just happy that you know to just get off the ground. <laughs> so, so you know, and still be around twelve years later. So it's very different. Um, so I don't think I can actually comment on that. No, this is Chita. I I have definitely uh, briefly worked at organizations. They are small, inevitably. Um, where I worked, where the organization took ten people or whatever. I did that very briefly. I also worked at, that was an external consulting firm. I mentioned that twice, so there's an external consulting firm here in the DC area, and then years ago in South Africa, I worked for an external consulting firm. I can't, I don't really think the South African example is relevant because the culture of work is very different, it's very European. Um, 
they, it was a, it was, it was a, they had just sold to a larger company, which was sort of in full, and they had really struggled to get there. And I was basically an intern, sort of, I was a temporary worker, contract worker doing a special project. But um, I did work for one here, and it was challenging because uh, I, and honestly, I shy away from those situations. I shy away from established small companies where the founder is right there in the office every day and doing all the work that everyone else is doing, plus running the company. Um, because I found that certain things that I sort of like to have, like HR, sort of take a back seat in those situations. <laughs> so personally, I know that isn't true for everyone, it's not true for every field, obviously, but I tend to shy away from established, very, very small companies, unless they have a stellar reputation with their employees. So again, that's a lot easier to learn now because we have the internet. Working on political campaigns is effectively exactly like that, if not worse, because it's not just a company, it's their name, it's literally everything you do working for them is their name on the line, and so it's a much more challenging situation, especially if the person has had some success and the success they had is not based on what they think it is, <laughs> which is very common both in business and in politics, but the idea that like, so I was successful because all these staffers worked hard and made it happen, but I think I did it because of my magnetic personality. That's a nightmare person to work for, and that's 90% of all political candidates. So, and it's probably pretty close with small businesses that are founders still there, because if it's there, it's still there. It's because it was successful on some level. So if they're right, and they know that the reason that they got where they are is that their team worked together and built this thing, it's a, it's, it's a job where you have to work your ass off, but you'll be rewarded. If they're not, then it's a bit far away Hey, that's a good place to stop. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, next up uh, in the job search series, we'll have part two of this one, another hour or so on um, interview, tip, interview tips. And then we also, after that, will be uh, online and offline networking, which we already recorded. And then, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we will have after that job search tips. So come back for these uh, later. Thanks for listening.